Police Story Part Two. One, two, one, two. Stairwells. I'm Autumn. I'm joined as always by Nia. Hi, I'm Neve. And we have an announcement to make. Let's just rip this band-aid off. Yeah. Stairwells I, is going bi-weekly. Yeah, if you if you weren't gonna do this, I was gonna do this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh not next week. So we are gonna be back next week. And yes. then we're gonna go to bi-weekly. The reason why we're doing it next, like we're gonna do not bi-weekly right away, is uh tomorrow night I'm gonna record Ghost Divers. And so we're going to try to do stairwells on off weeks from Ghost Divers. Yeah, so that I, d- I don't have weeks where it's like, well, Friday and Saturday I have yeah. podcasts. The, my podcast is most likely to go long. That makes it that makes it sound like it's you who needed stairwells to go bi-weekly. Um, I, like, gently floated this to you as an idea after a, like, anxiety attack. Um, in my head, it was like, she really got to say yes, because I don't want to turn it into it like, we have to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, my, my podcast, well, okay. My workload at my job job has been absolutely insane, has been very draining, um, and very hard to keep up with. And also just like taxing on me mentally where like, even when I leave work, I'm still at work in my head in a lot of ways. So I can't cut down on the hours <laughs> I work at work. Uh, I can cut down on the number of podcasts I do, and this is sort of the first thing that's going to happen. 
I have thought about other changes. I have not mentioned any changes to any other co-hosts. And if you are a co-host listening to this, we could talk about it. Don't worry about it. I think, like, Rick and M both know that I'll text them sometimes and be like, we're not doing it this week. And that's fine. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, ah, fuck. I was supposed to put up coffee and comic books today and I didn't. You've been working a lot. Been working a lot. I had I had to I had to take a sick day at work this week for mental health reasons, which is not a thing that is easy for me to do. But I'm back in therapy. That's another thing is that uh, being back in therapy means that that's like two hours a week where I cannot do podcast prep because it's like a twenty minute drive there. It's an hour at therapy. It's ten minutes at Art of Pizza afterward. It's another half the, hour. The uh, of pizza. Yeah, and that's non negotiable. I have to go get pizza after therapy. That's yeah. just how this goes. The thing is, if, you know, you were thinking about this week and uh, it would have been like, you would need to leave right away and that's just not. Yeah. Especially you don't take public transit a ton yes. in Chicago. Um, but but yeah. the, the red line is like right by my apartment. And then today when I parked at my therapist office, I, I parked right in front of my therapist office and I looked and I was like, oh, there's the red line stop. Yeah. It's like, and it's like, I, I didn't expect it because the red line, I guess, goes underground at a certain point, yeah. which I didn't know about. But yeah, there's a red line stop literally out the door for my therapist's office. But that, that interferes with, now I can get me pizza, but do I want to get pizza for me and for Nora, wait for a train, deliver the pizza, yeah. trade-offs? I did... The reason last time we, this is non homophobia zone. I don't. I, yeah. I was going to tell you about parking at my therapist's office. No one cares. No all, one cares. All I was going to say is uh, I miss being able to commute by. I, technically, I could still, but I would have to get up like super fucking early anytime mm. I have to go into the office um, instead of driving, where it's like two. I still drive like forty five minutes in and then an hour. Yeah. F- hour fifteen back. Um, but it would be like. An hour and a half, both ways, and I wouldn't be like driving. Yeah. And so the thing that I miss is when I used to commute just like downtown to work. I I took the red line, um, and it's just like you just like sit on a train and you just like fucking read or like do whatever the yeah. fuck you want. Yeah. Um, you like do after a while you get the hang of the public transit sleep, mm-hmm. which is like you're not really asleep. Like, you are, but you aren't. You're, like, aware of, like, stops happening and, like, the sounds around you. But you are also just, like, very, like, checked out. Uh-huh. Eyes closed. Uh-huh. Um, so. I you could, that. like, you could, like, read comics on the train. I did that one time when we were coming back from the Brandy Carlisle concert, but that's because it was, like, 2 a.m. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, I was not aware of the stops that were happening. I was relying entirely anyway. upon you. Change to stairwells. Yes. Um, going bi-weekly. Uh, I guess probably part of the reason why you want to make this change with stairwells is... So you you have the mental illness of you're working a lot and you just like can't do any work anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the mental illness of I need like normal routines and structures to feel mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, which means that... When it turns into you don't have the energy to podcast. 
Yeah. Then stuff gets canceled, and then I'm mentally ill about that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm too mentally ill to podcast, which makes you mentally ill, and then I feel bad about making you mentally ill, and it's just this vicious cycle. Then I feel bad about making you feel bad. <laughs> um, but chances are we will still be, like, watching movies and stuff on off weeks. Yeah. We'll still be hanging out. Yeah. It's just not going to be doing a podcast every week. Which, and it's also which, not going to be, this is the thing that I'm most excited about, is it's not going to be, here's the podcast, like, here's the movie that we chose to pick for the podcast. Mm. We can be like, let's just watch a movie. Yeah. Which we had a little bit of last week. Yes, which ties into, we were going to do an episode last week, and then work stuff got in the way and we couldn't, you know. Like, literally, I just ended up working extra and there was just nothing we could do about it. Um, <clears throat> Which meant that, we watched poli- we had time to watch police story 2 and then we just had an off week and it was like hey i just really enjoyed watching police story 2 i did do- i do just enjoy watching movies with my friend you know yeah um and we didn't have to like plan police story 2 yeah cuz there's no way i'm putting police story 2 on the schedule what is there to say about fucking police story 2 yeah <laughs> jackie chan kicks some ass what else do you want from me <laughs> and this is also the thing of and I- it also opens it up a little bit more to like how much do you want to join on the event? I want to rewatch Kurosawa, like mm. all of Kurosawa's films. I don't know if I want to like podcast about like uh Sinshira Sagata 2. Yeah. You know, there's just like a lot of the especially the earlier I don't really want to podcast, like do an episode about scandal. Uh-huh. I'd be fine watching Scandal, and then we have another thing that we watched, and we're like, yeah, we also watched Scandal, and it kind of sucks. Mm. Um, he probably was, like, uh, you know, having an affair with that woman or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of weird to make a movie about this. <laughs> um, but, so yeah, just, like, freeze up some of that stuff where um, we can also not watch a movie. Yeah. You know? So... You could get back to watching Turn A. I, I would watch more Turn A. I was thinking about it today because I was putting on, I'm in season two of House now. And I'm just like, all my friends are so mad at me about not watching Turn A. No one's actually mad at me. No one's actually paying attention to how much Turn A I watch. But in my head, it's like, oh, everyone's so mad at me right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, It yeah, also anyway. maybe gives us like a little wiggle room to do more double features. Like here we've got Grave of Yacht. Graveyard of Honor and the remake as two separate episodes, we could, you know... Very easily do that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's even possible that some of the stuff that we put on here, like maybe we just, you know, uh, the Blue Angel and Lola are ones that would also work as like a double feature. Yeah. But also it could be like, we could just be, decide, let's just watch Heavenly Creatures and we'll still uh-huh. talk about it as an episode. So And it's also like... Does Redline need an episode? You want me to watch Redline, and I want to watch Redline. Do we need to do a whole episode about Redline? I have to talk about how Redline is the perfect encapsulation of the Lacanian idea of jouissance. Well, anyway, what other movies did you watch this week? Um, I mean, you're the one who's supposed to go for it. Mostly, I watched a lot of Gundam. Yeah. Um, I hit to the point where I was getting near the end of both... Uh, I was lagging a little bit with Gundam Wing because mm-hmm. Gundam Wing is kind of bad. Mm-hmm. Um, 
There are ways in which I like it more than G Gundam because it's more my kind of over-the-top bullshit. Hmm. There's ways that I like it less, which is that G Gundam's not really trying to talk about politics, whereas it becomes increasingly like Gundam Wing thinks that it has important things to say about pacifism, and it's all stupid. Mm-hmm. So, um, and unfortunately, the I, the back half I think is more heavily weighted. Though the first half has so much of that already. Mm-hmm. The the two sides to uh, Lady Un happens really early. And then the rest of the show says, well, that was a really good idea. Let's keep iterating on it. <laughs> what if everybody has a side that loves war and a side that loves pa- peace inside of them? Um, what if? Anyway, uh, I basically am caught up with GGP aside from um, Endless Waltz, uh, G-Savior, and some of the SD Gundam stuff. Not like the shows, but like the the shorts, mm-hmm. the early stuff. Um, the one thing that I might not have watched all of by the time we get to the Sea Destiny finale <clears throat> is all of the SD Gundam stuff. I'm going to try to, but it's like, that was my lowest priority, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, whereas like G Savior, I'm saving that as the little like, you know when you have like a cocktail and there's a the little like cocktail cherry in there? Yeah, and then yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. eat it at the end and you're like, ooh. Yeah. That's that's G Savior in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> so uh Gundam X was good. The the there's some middle stuff in Gundam X that's not good. Mm-hmm. Um but it ended pretty strong. That's Gundam and, to me. And but that's not that's not double Zeta. Not a bad episode in Double Zeta. Yeah, Double Zeta just starts bad. No. <laughs> it's all good. Not a single bad episode. You're allowed to think that. <laughs> Tiger Bomb's so good. <laughs> Tiger Bomb is so good. <laughs> that is the good shit. <laughs> you got you got cross dress, dressing judo. You got references to the whole like kung fu martial arts you stuff got, that's been happening with judo. That's like further bringing in and tying in. You got like Ellen Rue, Ellen Rue roll up on Haman with a rocket launcher. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that shit rocks. <laughs> um, double eight is good. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's no turn eight, though. You're staring at me in disappointment. <laughs> you're trying to hit me with a mom stare, but you're laughing too much to make it work. Anyway. Um, shout out to Anil and her girlfriend, Tonya, and their uh, beards, uh, Wits and Roby. Mm. I understood that sentence. And Wits and Roaby, shout out to them and their beards. Antonia. <laughs> <laughs> this is like my, if people don't want any spoilers for, for Gundam X, just like at this moment, jump ahead in your podcast for like the 45 second or whatever. Yeah. 30 seconds or whatever. It ends with like them supposedly like married where like Anil is with uh, Roaby, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Antonia's with with wits. Is this a like Frodo is living with Sam? Well, and so they're like you you start with like Anil and um Roby, I think. And they're like or no, I think it's Tonya. You start with Tonya and Wits. And they're like going to like move into a home or something. And then a car pulls up and it's Anil and Roby. Uh and they're kind of talking about like their life together, and then suddenly Tonya just lights up. 
it's Neil, my friend. Uh, <laughs> and so like runs and like hops into the car and uh, like <laughs> uh, Roby comes out to wits. Uh, and then the girls just drive off being like, you know, catch up with us later and they're just like driving off and then one of the one of the guys says the other one well i guess you'll be crashing at my place for a while (laughs) (laughs) darn like they all they fucking they fucking not the way the show sometimes wants you to think (laughs) (laughs) anyway um you watched readers of the lost ark Yes. Uh, like I mentioned, Tuesday I had a big anxiety attack. Wednesday, um, needed needed a little comfort food. Opened up Plex. I was kind of thinking I was going to watch John Wick, because uh, everybody keeps talking about John Wick 4, and I haven't seen... I, I saw John Wick. I haven't seen a single one. I've been meaning to, to I saw the him. first one, one time, and I fell asleep with 30 minutes left. And from what I gather, that last 30 minutes is just guns going off. And so, like, did I miss anything? Yes, I did. But, like, did I? You know? Anyway, I needed a comfort food. Ended up watching Raiders of the Lost Ark. <clears throat> uh, it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. What do you want me to say? It's my favorite movie. Like, I don't know, dude. I watched yeah. this movie. I have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark more than I have ever seen any other movie. I don't believe I have watched it in the time since we have done this podcast. No, you said that, and I was in somewhat disbelief. So I decided that while you were talking about, it, I would search alive on the podcast and just yeah. see if I could find that you did it. But I don't. I don't believe I've watched Readers of the Lost Ark since I transitioned. Um, but I watched it this week, and um, it is still Raiders of the Lost Ark. It is still one of the best movies. Truly, nothing to say about it. Not a goddamn thing. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, not nothing. I don't know. I was a little being more of an adult now. You know, being a little older now, I was a little more attuned to the the craft of the movie, and specifically, like, you know, obviously John Williams' score in that movie is very good. Like, obviously, like that kind of goes without saying. Um, but it really is it. John Williams does such a good job of making every moment of that movie feel like perfectly orchestrated, you know? Yeah. Like it, everything feels so in tune with the music in a really special way, you know? Um, and the other, the other thing that I guess I was very much aware of this time, and this doesn't like. This doesn't ruin the movie for me, you know? But since the last time I watched this movie, I developed politics. Yeah. And in my head, I always section off, like, Temple of Doom is the really racist, misogynist one. No, Raiders of the Lost Ark is just as racist and just as misogynist. Yeah. It's just that it's a better movie, and so it sort of pulled the wool over my eyes. But, like, it is still very much, like this intensely like racialized fantasy of being this white guy going on among, you know, the uncivilized people and, you know, um, like the good Brown people are, are a very different thing than the bad ones. And, you know, it's, it's fucked. Like the, the whole way that movie thinks about race is just fucked from top to bottom and there's no saving it. Yeah. Um, also John Reese Davies plays the, uh, the, uh, friend in Egypt, the uh, Salah, um, 
Which, I don't know. I don't know about that. R-H-Y-S. Um, wait, R-8. I'm like, I don't know if I... I'm sure. Oh, yeah. He's Welsh. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's very good in that movie. He is not Egyptian in any way. Uh, so yeah, that's my rears of the Lost Ark thoughts. S for stairs, uh, because the the little ghosties pour out over the stairs, and you know ILM fly around and zap people and melt faces and stuff. Yeah, is the fog that rolls out over the stairs. It's very good. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I watched a little feature out <clears throat> about George talking about how they made that. It's cool. I like George. I know this about you. He's a racist. I don't think he knows that about himself, but he is. Yeah. I've seen the movies that he made. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do enjoy Star Wars. There's some, like, deeply fucked race assumptions in Star Wars. Yeah. Even even before getting to the whole droid thing. Yeah. <laughs> the whole slave auction in the first movie thing. Yeah. <laughs> I love that movie. It's a fucking incredible movie. It's basically um, a perfect movie. The, also, the slave auction in it is not nearly as like uh, overtly uncomfortable as the slave auction in like "Let Me Die a Woman." Uh huh. <laughs> um, Man, but anyway, <laughs> overtly is the operative word there. Yeah, what's still the... is when you think a little bit too much about it. But... Yeah. So, what's the next movie on our list? Uh, so I watched the Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. I watched about the last 30 minutes of the Super Mario Brothers movie. Um, still a B for the stairs. Still a B. What did you think of the last 30 minutes? The movie? Fine. Didn't think much of it. No, no, no thoughts head empty about the movie itself. The commentary track from the toddler who had to explain to me everything that was happening on the screen as it happened. Flawless. 10 out of 10. Um... Would experience again. Probably will experience yeah. again. <laughs> um, so, yeah. My next movie to talk about. I watched The Misfits, which I'm going to... You're not going to let me finish talking about oh, the Super Mario yeah, Bros. Yeah, did, you, did you have more to say about the Super Mario Bros. movie? Uh, it's about the same as, you know, the first time I watched it. Same feelings about a lot of it. Uh-huh. Um, really, Jack Black, the only one who's, like, really trying uh-huh. in the voice cast, so... Anyway, sorry. So, so the misfits. Um, I watched this. Uh, on I just the... didn't know if I'd get another chance to talk about it. So yeah, yeah, I'm sure you <laughs> won't have to watch this movie again. Um, the misfits. Um, this is a 1961 movie directed by John Huston. Um, it stars Marilyn Monroe in her final film role. Um, it stars Clark Gable in his final film role. Um, it's got a guest appearance sort of thing from Montgomery Clift in his like second-to-last film role. Um, and then it's got Eli Wallach at the start of his very long and lengthy career. <laughs> um, uh, this is... And, and last but not least, it is written by Arthur Miller, who, if people are not familiar with Arthur Miller, he has written Death of a Salesman and The Crucible and many other things. He is undoubtedly the most beloved American playwright of the 20th century. Like... I don't even know who else is in competition for that title. Maybe Tony Kushner. I don't know. doesn't matter. Um, and the other thing you need to know about Arthur Miller is that I fucking hate him. 
I think Death of a Salesman is fucking awful. I think The Crucible is even worse. I hate Arthur Miller. And the thing about me is that in high school, I had an English teacher who was really into theater. And so we read three Arthur Miller plays in one semester. And then in college, I took two semesters of like drama appreciation, just like classes about reading and watching theater and like, you know, from an English class sort of perspective. And I read a lot of fucking Arthur Miller in that class too. So I have a li- I've had a lot of time in my life to stew on all the reasons I hate Arthur Miller <laughs> to yeah. the point that I would not have put on this movie had I realized he had written it. <laughs> um, uh, and also knowing that he written it and knowing that he wrote it as a, in his mind, a gift to Marilyn Monroe to accentuate all her best qualities as an actress um, just makes the movie even skeevier. <laughs> yeah. So, the very, 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 very quick rundown. Um, so, the, the main character is named uh, Guy Everyman. <laughs> He's <laughs> And the, the uh, villain is uh, Gayster O-Type. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not quite because the main guy, the the okay. So Marilyn Monroe, playing Rosalind, is a woman from the big city of Chicago who has come to Reno, Nevada, because it is very easy to get divorced in Nevada. Um, and she is renting a place with a woman, uh, an older woman, um, who basically just rents her home to women who are trying to get divorces. And she like comes and is a witness at your trial and she helps coach you through like, you know what you need to say to the judge to get your divorce and get your alimony and all that. Um, she's the best part of this movie by far, which means that she does have to disappear inexplicably an hour in like an, about an hour into the movie, she stops showing up, which really tanks the movie in a huge way. <laughs> um, and she's delightful. Um, anyway, they um, go and get the divorce, and then they go to a casino, and um, they meet Clark Gable's character, Gaylord Langland, I believe is the name, <laughs> um, on his character, and Eli Wallach playing um, <coughs> Guido, uh, <laughs> I think was his name. Um, and these are two, um, you know, these are two cowboy types who have a thing. Like, we were briefly introduced to them before this casino scene of, like, he's seeing... Clark Gable is seeing off this older woman at the train station, and she's like, why don't you come with me? I own the second biggest laundromat in St. Louis. And he's like, oh, no, no, honey. I don't like working for wages, but it was, you know... And he's, like, very qu- clearly, like, swindled this rich woman. And this is the game that Wallach and Gable are running, is that they meet these divorcees that are coming to Reno to get divorced and they run game on them and, um, you know, try to take them for their money. Uh, and so they easily like they spot Marilyn Monroe across the bar and they start to run that basically. They take him out to the house in the country and the older woman is like, I don't know about all this. Um, blah, 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 blah. The, the sort of, the plot sort of plays out from there, how you might expect it to. Um, uh, Marilyn Monroe is like way too trusting. Clark Gable is very charming, 
but like he has a dark he has darkness within him he's very he's very sad and lonely inside and then they meet up with Montgomery Clift after a little while and he's even sadder and lonelier inside and blah 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 um <clears throat> the thing about it is that these are all very 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 good actors doing a great job and like I think John Huston is doing a great job with this movie cuz there's one sequence of all the cowboys going and rounding up some horses that's really good because no one fucking talks during it and so you get like a lot of this like storytelling without words as they're rounding up the horses that's very fucking good it's fucking incredible like the the good parts of this movie are john houston or john houston or marilyn monroe or clark gable like when when those people can sort of interact with each other it's great it's electric there's like one scene that i texted you and compared to smooth talk because like clark gable and um marilyn monroe are like they've just had sex they're um sitting at the kitchen table the next morning and she very visibly is uncomfortable with what has just happened he is like trying to draw her deeper into his web and she like wants to resist it, but also is so charmed by him that she's, like, falling deeper in. And it's a great scene. It's a really, really fucking good scene. Unfortunately, because it's Arthur Miller writing this, about an hour in, everybody has to start staring into the camera and explaining and re-explaining and then explaining a third time and then finding a fourth and more poetic way to explain their fucking feelings as if I didn't understand it from the actions they were taking. It's fucking infuriating. Like, Eli Wallach's character, like, does, does this long fucking monologue where he's, he's talking about, like, um, <clears throat> he's talking about flying a plane in World War II and being a bomber. And he's like, you know, the thing about uh, being a bomber is that we're just up there blind, you know, and I don't even know all the things that I did. And I was like, okay. And he's like, I think sometimes about all the plates that got broken by my bombs. And I'm like, oh, that's a nice little poetic thing. And he's like, and the glasses and the and the uh, library books and the, you know, clothes. And I'm like, okay, I fucking get it. And he's like, and the children. Oh, I think about the children that I died and didn't know about. And I'm like, I fucking get it. I understood that when you said the thing about the plates. Everything else was contained in the line about the plates and we could have ended this scene two fucking minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. Or like, the, the, the other example I was talking to you about was that like there's this big climactic scene where Marilyn Monroe decides she's fucking done with all these people. And if I were directing the scene, I would have had her be like, you're all pitiful. And she like walks the truck and gets in the truck, you know? Yeah. What happens in the movie is that she walks about 40 paces away and starts screaming at the top of her lungs. You're pitiful. I hate you. You're all lonely and sad. And don't think about anyone but yourselves. And I pity you. And she's screaming and screaming and screaming. And we cut to the men having a conversation about this. And she's still screaming. And then we cut back. And she's still screaming. And it's the same lines. She hasn't added on. 
do her speech in any way. She's just still screaming. And I'm like, why is this movie two hours and five minutes? We can shave off ten minutes with dialogue that fucking repeats itself. I don't understand it. And then the very... Okay, the very start of the movie... And I'm sorry. I'm going to be done soon. I promise. I, I, I'm I sorry. I've gone so long about this movie. It just drove me nuts. At the start of the movie, she's like, where, where is your home, Clark Gable? And he's like, well, it's right here all around us. They're driving down the highway. And he's, she's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, my home is the open road. And it's like, okay, well, I got it the first time, but okay, fine. The end of the movie is she's like, how are you going to find your way back home? And he's like, well, it's right here all around us. I'm like, okay, fade to black. He's like, you see that? That's the North Star. It always points you north. You just follow that store, star, and it takes you to the highway. And the highway is my home. And then it fades to black. And I'm like, why the fuck? <laughs> what was the fucking point of explaining the concept of the North Star to me? <laughs> I hate this shit. <laughs> I'd divorce Arthur Miller, too. Yeah. <laughs> if he were... I mean, I probably wouldn't marry him. I wouldn't marry him to begin with. <laughs> I'd fuck well, Jack... Okay. I'd fuck John Kennedy and okay. be fucking pleased okay. about it. <laughs> How much money could I get if I married him and then divorced him? Uh, well, the thing about it is that you could probably mm. get a decent amount of money, but you would also be assassinated for fucking John Kennedy afterwards. So, like... Let me let me Google Arthur Miller net worth. Nineteen sixty. Well, now I'm just thinking about how a thing. I I'm not entirely familiar with divorce law, but I'm assuming at that time that probably like if you did not quote unquote consummate the marriage, then that would be mm-hmm. like a. So you probably have to fuck that old man. <laughs> yeah, you probably have to fuck that old man. That's the other thing is that like the the whole thing. I think it does a really... I think at the movie's best moments, it is about, um, like, <laughs> the ways in which men prey upon women. At the movie's worst moments, it is about how wouldn't it be hot to be an old guy preying on Marilyn Monroe, which, you know, Arthur Miller was 20 years or senior. I'm just saying. Yeah. It, the movie is about how sexy it is when she is imperiled by like older men. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and and <clears throat> the other really mean thought I had was that like you watch this movie and you start to understand that David Lynch has just been writing different Marilyn Monroe characters in all of his movies ever. You know, like, yeah. uh, like because I thought that's about. When I watched her in Niagara, I was like, wow, this is a lot of different David Lynch women. And then I watched this movie, and I was like, this is every other David Lynch woman that I didn't see in Niagara. Interesting. <laughs> uh, and I've only seen two Marilyn Monroe movies. I imagine if I just keep watching them, I will see all the David Lynch women. <laughs> you know? Um, and it's so plain and obvious how skeevy it is when, when Miller is doing it that it sort of was like... I have some mis I have some misgivings about the way that uh David Lynch treats women in his movies after reading his biography and being like he's a real womanizer in a way that like the fandom does not want to talk about. Yeah. Uh 
and then like this, just the the more I dig in, it's like the the worse and worse I feel about it. You know, this does not make me like his movies less. It makes me wonder where the movies are coming from a little more. You know, I also think. I think that David Lynch was happening at a time that there's this movement happening. Like a lot of the rise of David Lynch is happening at this time. There's also this movement in film criticism where um, in particular, like psychoanalytic criticism and feminist criticism is like creating Mm -hmm. this like feminist psychoanalytic, like feminist Freudian Mm -hmm. way of analyzing things, which is a thing that, both of those are going to latch on to David Lynch. Yes. In the same way that they also latched on to the slashers. And the slashers are like inherently these films about like women being murdered. Mm. And then there's like the final girl and stuff. And and feminist criticism looked at that and analyzed like what is happening societally that's being reflected in these movies. And then you get this thing where like that's like the original thing, which is looking at it and doing the feminist lens on understanding those films mm-hmm. out of that comes this like other form of like, Oh, slashers are feminist in some way or, and it like lends into it more. And I think my, and I don't have like exact like evidence of essays, but it's happening around the same time. I think there's a little bit of that with, with David Lynch as well, where a lot of the criticism, I, my guess would, if you, my guess is would be, if you go back and read like early feminist stuff talking about, David Lynch, they're not saying like the man, like it is a divorce from auteur theory. Yeah. It is coming from psychoanalytic theory, which is often divorced from auteur theory or is only auteur theory in as much as it is like analyzing the psyche of the director, but not doing it in like the normal auteur sense. Um, Not that the person, the person making it is doing these intentional things, but that maybe something is being revealed about that person Uh in the making of it. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and so my guess is a lot of feminist stuff probably came more out of that mold where you're looking at like, what's the film doing? What's this dream space doing? And how is it talking about women? Mm. And how is it reflecting a certain reality that women have? Uh, and what can we do when we, we learn from it? But then I think over time that like feminist thing became, and I think some of this is just like a, especially in the last like decade or, or so I've noticed like an increase in auteur theory specifically linked to other theory about like queerness or feminism or Mm, race or something mm -hmm. because it's becoming part of this like dominant social way of thinking about media of, and I think it's a thing that's been like pushed by Disney and things Mm. of the things that I consume reflect something about me as a person. And so not only like if I'm seeing something feminist in a David Lynch film, I have to do this like auteur thing where I'm like saying that David Lynch is this uh-huh. rather than that. There are things that I can find within this movie that make me think about the ways that women are treated in society and stuff. Yeah. Without that necessarily being, and David Lynch is this great fem- feminist auteur. Yeah. And I think like the generous read that we want to, we often take on um, stairwells is that like David Lynch is making movies um, <clears throat> about the like, Suffering that women go through, both societally and across cinema, you know? Like, in um, Blue Velvet especially, I feel like we talked about, um, like, Blue Velvet is, like, you know, laser-targeted, not just on, um, oh, look at the rot that sits under, like, urban society, but look at the rot that sits under, like, 
culture, you know, and the things you are enculturated to that are invisible to you, um, that like, you know, um, and I think the thing that the misfits throws into relief for me is that like Lynch himself is still very much part of the culture that he is like, yeah. And that in a way that's not when I am watching blue velvet and really enjoying it, I, if I try to take more of this, like, how do I think that David Lynch is approaching this? I think that, like, Jackson is right that David Lynch thinks that, like, a, a woman who is into, like, BDSM mm. or whatever is, like, isn't that so fucked up? That, like, a woman would enjoy in some way being hurt during sex. Mm. Um, and I, when I'm watching it, I don't think that that's fucked up. The stuff that's fucked up is all the stuff around Frank and also how, like, having that, being a woman who has those sorts of desires can open you up to, uh-huh. like, abuse as well. Yes. Um, especially when you exist in, a, like, a society that doesn't give you, like, healthy frameworks for that. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't think David Lynch is making that movie thinking, oh, this is, like isn't it so fucked up that like she has these like normal desires that could be expressed in healthy ways, but instead are like, Mm -hmm. I think it's just far more like, Oh, the seating under your belly is also her enjoying rough sex. Yeah. The seating under belly is alluring in some way. Yeah. You know, um, whereas for me, there's like a clear distinct, but also part of the reason why I really like that movie is there is like interesting stuff in in Blue Velvet, but also I watch it and just in a way that like I grew up poor and in doing like drugs and stuff in high school, where I'm like yes I've bound been to house parties with a Frank, mm. you know, and nobody really likes him. He's like scary. People want him to leave the party. Mm-hmm. A couple of people might leave with him when he leaves the party. Um, and maybe some of it is that they just want access to the stuff that he has, which is that usually he's like, like, he's probably getting drugs for some of the people Mm. and stuff, you know? Um, not that he's like fully a drug dealer, but he might still be like the hookup for people, stuff like that. Uh, and like creates this sort of aura around him. Yeah. And so I've definitely been at like... Also, I say house parties, and I think sometimes people imagine the house party, like, if you watch, like, a teen movie. Uh-huh. I think people don't understand that the house parties I'm going to is that, like, uh, in the basement, there's, like, a punk band that's just playing way too loud. So even if you're on, like, the second floor, you still can, like, not really hear very mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Like, you you can have normal conversations the way you cannot in the basement. Yeah. Um, And most people are just, like, kind of, like, on sofa. If they're not downstairs and, like, moshing and stuff, they're probably just, like, sitting around on sofas, like, high out of their mind or making out with someone or maybe having sex if it's, like, a more remote part. Uh Uh-huh. And not, like, like, just, like, bizarre. Like, it's not, like, having sex is in, like, you go in and there's, like, people having sex on the bed. Like, they're, like, it'd be, like, you just, like, go into, like, one of the more remote corner, like, rooms. And in the corner, there's just, like, somebody getting a hand job. Mm-hmm. It's, like, that vibe. Yeah. Yeah. So, this is my, this is, like, high school experiences. <laughs> or sometimes it's a little bit chiller and it's just a bunch of people in the house. And you, like, just spent three hours watching your friend play the... What's the the GameCube horror game that has, like, the sanity meter? Eternal Darkness. Eternal Darkness. And you got really lost 
into just watching them play that and continually being fooled by like the bug on the screen or whatever because you're just that high and you realize <laughs> in a way that you weren't that like three hours have passed and you walk out and you're like the this started with like you and like five of your friends mm-hmm. and you walk out and there's like 10 new people here uh-huh. and there's some guy you've never met who's just in the kitchen and is immediately teaching you like here's how to make a chicken quesadilla <laughs> <laughs> that's the other vibe <laughs> those are the, the ones a little bit chiller where you're not going to necessarily meet a frank but sometimes the frank will roll in mm-hmm. and then the vibe just changes uh-huh so anyway <laughs> what's the next movie on our list um so, speaking of misfits, where people over-explain the emotions that they're having, rather than just sort of having acting to, to tell you, and, like, some of the way that it's framed and everything. But in a way, where on one hand it's more excusable, um, because it is a kid's movie, but on the other hand, the, the acting could also just be better. Uh-huh. You know, if the acting was better, you would also need less, like, uh immediate explanation of uh-huh. what characters are feeling and doing. Um, I watched the Super Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I watched it twice in the last like two weeks. Yeah, with my toddler. Still be for stairs. So the other movie I watched today <laughs> was Flesh and Blood by Paul Verhoeven. I'm a little disappointed that I have way less to say about this movie than um I did about uh the Misfits. Uh, Flesh and Blood is Verhoeven's first um, <clears throat> English language movie. It is his last collaboration with Rutger Hauer. It was released in 1985. It stars a very young Jennifer Jason Lee. Um, and basically, like, Rutger Hauer is this mercenary who is betrayed by his captain um, and this rich guy, Ar- Arnolfini. Um, and then he gets back at Arnolfini and the captain, and the captain, Arnolfini, try to get back at him, and then he tries to get back at them, and they get back at him. Lots of murder, lots of swords, lots of horses, lots of siege engines, lots of blood. Oh, like and Berserk. It, th- so this is this is a like big yeah. inspiration point for Berserk. Um, and the other, uh, <clears throat> um, the other thing about this movie that like all of that you could get by going to the Wikipedia page for this movie and just being like, oh, it's one of those. The thing that, like, I was not prepared for and the way that it is very much like Berserk, there is so much rape in this movie. Oh, like Berserk. Yeah. <laughs> like, you there go is... into it not thinking that it's going to be a thing about that, and then you start experiencing it, and you're like, oh. There is so 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 much rape in this movie there is a lot of rape in this movie and like i think in the movie's best moments it's trying to do like the devils a little bit where it's like all of these people live in this very like repressed society and they're all thinking about sex constantly, but not talking about it. And so they have this like unhealthier relationship that involves a lot of like non-consensual sex. I think that's like what the movie is like attempting. I don't think it like comes across really. I think I am being exceedingly like far more generous than the movie 
earns in any way by giving it that read. <laughs> I think it's just a movie that's like wants to be sexy by putting Jennifer Jason Lee's tits in it as much as possible, you know. Yeah. Um It's not, and and the other the other thing about it is that I just felt like it was kind of boring. There's like a lot of Oh, like Berserk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of doing this joke, but I, the thing with Berserk is that I think, like, the beginning of Berserk really is doing something that's in this, like, flesh and blood. Like, um, I agree with, with M that, like, part of what's interesting about Berserk is watching someone get over themselves. But there's also a way that, like, it always has to be. It's not like reading through an uh, artist's work and it's different manga. Mm-hmm. Uh, it always has to kind of be about the thing that it was at the start, mm-hmm. and I feel like that holds it down more than it makes it. Yeah, and there's just like, I don't know. This movie is just not very good. I think you yeah. know. I I just think that like there's ten to fifteen minutes at a time where I was just bored. You know, like I was just like I don't. Whatever this movie is trying to go for, I don't. I'm not invested in it. Yeah. Way. And I, I'm like kind of at the end of my time talking about flesh and blood because it really just didn't do anything for me, yeah. which is disappointing because uh, this is my second Verhoeven movie. And I'm sure I'm certain that there will be a bunch more that I like. I know that Verhoeven himself is pretty unhappy with this movie because he wanted it to be about Rector Hauer and the other captain. But then the studio was like, you need uh, to introduce a love interest. And so that's how <clears throat> Jennifer J- Jason Lee's character gets introduced. Um, and you can tell, you can tell like the first 15 minutes of this movie that are about Rutger and the other captain, um, are like have a vibe, have like something going for him that then just like totally falls out of the movie, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. It's like a two star movie. It gets an A for stairs because there's two gay characters in the adventuring party. Um, and one of them gets the bubonic plague. And then the other one decides to kill himself. And so he runs up some stairs, points his sword at his chest. And there's like a wall opposite the set of stairs. And so he runs down the stairs and the sword hilt hits the wall and he impales himself. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Oh, I forgot to say B for stairs in the misfits. There's a scene early on where she's going up the courthouse steps and the, the husband that she's divorcing um, is there and they have a little conversation. It's a good scene. It's not a great scene. They're not great stairs. B. Um, oh, I forgot to say the first time I talked about Super Mario Brothers the movie, oh, not yeah, the yeah, second yeah. time. I forgot to read the series. It was also still B. You did say that. It's but still it's still a B from the first you, time I watched it. You did say it. that, but that's all right. I didn't. I you didn't did. remember. I didn't think I said that the first time that we did it. You did. Okay. <laughs> So um, we'll see. I'll probably have movies to talk about next time. Although I still have this like slight anime itch. Anyway, there's a couple of short things I want. I'm not going to mention any of them though, because I if I do just watch a couple short anime stuff, I just want to go on the GGP episode and have that's when people learn that I've watched them. Yeah. So. Well, we've got three movies sort of to talk about this week. Uh, I mean, these are three movies that we are going to talk about. One is Police Story 2, which I have mentioned there's not much to say. One is Land Without Bread. This is a 1933 movie that is 30 minutes long. And then the other is Calling Mr. Smith, which is 10 minutes long. You want to start with Police Story 2? 
Sure. How much how much is there to say about Play Story 2? Um so I think the biggest thing that I will just say is if you want to watch a Jackie Chan movie, there are better Jackie Chan movies. I think so too. I think um Police Story One, it specifically for what you're gonna get from Police Story Two. Police Story One is gonna have it better. The the Jackie Chan movies that I most enjoy are the ones that are heavy on the acrobatics element of it. Dragons Forever, Robin B. Hood, Police Story, um, and then my like second tier of Jackie Chan's movies are like the martial arts focused ones. So the two Drunken Master movies and Snake and Eagle Shadow. You know, yeah, those are very much about the fighting and stuff. This is like in the third tier of things I like about Jackie Chan movies, which is like light family comedy and hijinks and gadgets. What's up with all the gadgets in this movie? <laughs> yeah. And some of this some of the stuff you're also I think going to have more fun getting it from like Robin B. Hood. Yes. Like if what you want is and or the original police story, I think also has like a very similar vibe to some of the antics. Mm. I think the original police story is a little bit more misogynist than this one. I would agree with that. Um this one seems to understand a little a little bit more. Like directly, the Jackie Chan's character is just shitty to his girlfriend. Yes, uh, they do. And there, there are a lot of jokes around it, but he, she is like just consistently in the right about yes. how he is a bad boyfriend. Yes, they kind of like lean into making him the dirt worst on this movie, and that is like a that is like a really good element to it. I think for yeah. sure. And there, there are a couple good like uh. The the stuff around the like uh what Uncle Bill or whatever having the upset stomach yeah uh, which starts out as just kind of like a fart joke in the the elevator but then like as it continues yeah it's like keeps keeps building that yeah. was good um there's like there yeah I I sound a little down on this movie because it's like lesser Jackie Chan lesser Jackie Chan is still better than most movies you know yeah. <laughs> but also like if someone's not enamored with Jackie Chan the way that like. I think you and I and also Emily are. Yeah. Uh, there's just other Jackie Chan movies that are going are definitely going to hit more. If you've seen, if the only one you've seen is Police Story, because you know about the like, you know, the 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 elaborateness of that movie, I would steer you in other directions first. You know. Yeah. And this one is still like this still has some very over the top stuff, but like one it, there it is more of a fast as you said a fascination with like the gadgets. Of police work. Oh, here's the thing where we see the camera that's, like, hidden in the side of the truck. And here's, <clears throat> you know, this other, like, tool that they have. He bugs the, the office. One of the parts that's, like, it's a cool sequence, but it is also this. is like, that. there's that group of, like, uh, they all act all casual and stuff. But they're, like, the, oh, the ones right. who are good at, uh, like, subterfuge and following people or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so the whole sequence of them, like, talking to each other and the guy's, like, you know, is he going to get on or off the He's train? Going north. And they keep, like, there's so many people that it's, like, well, okay, I'm going to stay on and you get off. Mm. And it doesn't matter if he stays on or gets off this train. Like, we're still going to have some people here. Right. So. <clears throat> um, yeah, how they follow in there is great. Um, but also it's just, like... Part of why I watch Jackie Chan movies is just him doing... And then they don't even have to be, like, dangerous stunts. In the way that police stories, him doing really dangerous yeah. stunts. Um, 
Or sometimes it is just like the simply dangerous. Like again, the Robin B. Hood like jumping down from the, the God. on the the like the, uh, air conditioner units hanging out the windows, oh and then the the funniest NG in any movie that I've ever seen <laughs> is the one where he does it, and then the it's supposed to be all one take, and so the police officer at the bottom forgets, his, forgets line. his line, and now he has to redo it, and he gets all upset about it. <laughs> it's very funny. Three quick things I will say very positive about this movie. Very, very positive. One, um, more movies, more sequels should start with highlight reels of the last movie. Yeah. And that sounds that sounds like a diss on Police Story 2 that I'm saying that, like, the best part about it is when it opens on a highlight reel of Police Story 1. That's not true. That's just like, hey, do you remember Police Story 1? Yes, I do. Thank you for reminding me about it. Related to this is, and this is, I think, a problem with it. I think it became increasingly a problem with comedy movies. Um, Like, especially you get to the era of, like, Austin Powers and stuff, where it's like, there were funny jokes in the movie, and so they're going to repeat it Uh exactly again. But, like, maybe it's in a slightly different context, but you're going to get the same joke of, like, the, you know, fruits and various things in front of genitals and tits or whatever, you know? You're going to get the, like, backing up and going forward and getting stuck or whatever. Right. Uh, I always think of Austin Powers because there's just, like, so much repetition throughout all of those movies, and they just really got churned out. Uh, But this is, like, really common in sequels to comedies, is that just a joke gets done again. Yes. And this has some, some new jokes, but that are still, like, calling back to something from the last time. Yes. Um... One is that in between, there's been this, like, like I think it was starting on set of, like, how much glass they broke right. in the first movie. But then this movie is constantly joking about it, yes. including there's just a guy who they keep breaking his glasses. Yes. And there's, like, a joke where, like, Jackie Chan just walks into an office and, like, the the door, the gla- like, glass in the door closes on the umbrella that he's holding. So then that breaks. And then he's, like all like yeah. shocked and like turns and then hits like a glass with it. Yeah. And it like falls in the, and, and that's not... just like purely like they know that people, they, they were joking about while making it and they know that people joke about now. Yes. Police story, all the glass that broke. And so they're like yeah. joking around with it. Yeah. But no one's like saying, no one's saying like officer Chan, you have to get better about not breaking so much glass. Yeah. You know, it's just like a little <laughs> nod, you know, um, it's like, like every time Jackie like picks up a phone, like they frame it in a way that you think there's going to be a whole comedy routine and they just don't do it. You know, they just are like, Hey, you watched the last movie. Yeah. You remember there's a funny thing with the phone. Let's keep moving. There's one part where he like sets it down on the wrong receiver. Yeah. Which is just the like tiniest callback to that whole sequence. Yeah. Uh, we don't need to do it all again. Yeah. You're just going to laugh because you remember that sequence and we're going to move on. Yeah. You know, um, second big positive thing I'm going to say about this movie is um the the final action scene in the big warehouse that blows up and blah blah blah. Aside blah. from being very ableist, is incredible. Yeah, man, the ableism is rough. <laughs> There's somewhere it's like, like this this is like not great. Uh, they're still having him like be able to do cool martial arts and stuff, which is its own like big brained like you know eighties nineties. Uh oh! You thought the person who was like uh you know deaf and mute wouldn't mm. be able to like do martial arts, but he's cool and good at it too. Yeah. But especially the part where like 
finally Jackie Chan gets one up on him and is like throwing the little things at him like he threw at him beginning. They're like little like I always think of them as cherry poppers, but that's such a like loaded. What are the little ones that you throw and they just pop? I I call them cherry well, poppers yeah. too. Um. Or I just but, call them poppers, which is loaded in a different way. Yeah. So there's a part earlier where they're, like, throwing them at Jackie Chan while he's, like, tied up. And so then he's throwing it at the guy. And then he starts, like, making the noises. And that's the part where I'm just like, this is way too far. Yeah. <laughs> um, I forgot. We talked briefly about how he's, like, evil Jackie Chan in this movie, like, low-key. The funniest bit of that, which I don't think the movie acknowledges in any way, but I thought it was very funny. There's a bit where... They wire Jackie with this bomb vest. Um, and if he takes it off, it's going to blow. And Jackie, like, gets in the car and he, like, gets away to where no one can see him. And he goes into this tunnel with, like, heavy, heavy traffic in this tunnel. Yeah. And he pivots the car and he gets out and he shouts, like, everybody back up, there's a bomb. And he, like, rips it off and everybody can see there's a bomb strapped to his chest. So everybody goes away. He gets some wires from the car, and he, like, replaces the wires in the vest with the wires in the car. Yeah, he, like, basically creates, like, a bridge over them. Yes. So that there's, like, two... That wire is also connected, so when he clips the smaller one, it'll be the longer one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's still holding the current. Yes. And then after that, it's, like, wide enough that he can, like, you know, shimmy out of the, the vest. And he puts it in there, and then I thought... What was going to happen was that he was going to drive this car and, like, throw the bomb into the lake or something, you know? He just leaves it. He walks out of the tunnel. And he doesn't call anybody. He doesn't tell anybody about the bomb. He just walks away. (laughs) A bomb that's, like, in a tunnel for, like, a road. So, like, even if nobody's in the tunnel when it explodes... It will collapse it's still the going to tunnel. Collapse the tunnel. And I think there's another road on top. Yes. <laughs> and there was like a timer. It was like either the timer or you try to take it off and it'll blow up. Yeah. And I think there's maybe some way that they could try to like remote do it or something. But yeah. Yeah. The last thing, the last thing, the third positive thing I was going to say is that um, much like the last movie, they do the little reel of the like on set stuff. Very good, a little real. NGs. NGs, thank you. I, I really enjoyed it. Stands for no goods, but bloopers, but I, since NGs is like the term mm-hmm. in a lot of Asia for this, I just, is what I always use for these, like, especially because I'm so familiar with them from like uh, martial arts films like this. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, feels weird to call it bloopers when that's. Anyway, NGs. Yeah. NG real. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, NG reels are, are always, like, one of the best parts of martial arts stuff. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> um, Land Without Bread? Um, oh, Stairs in Police Story 2. Oh, I also want to say, you, you kind of talked about it, but they, like, they fucking blow up that entire fireworks factory. They really do. Because uh, the whole last little they, bit is in a fireworks factory. Yeah. And they almost blow that man up. He is, like, uncomfortably close to that explosion when it yeah. goes down. 
Um, and also, it, it's really and they're funny. not trying to do the cool like doesn't look back while walking because it is so dangerous that he needs to look back so that he, the man, the director of this movie, does not die. It's also really funny because in character, Jackie like works really hard to make sure that the deaf mute guy does not die. That he's going to arrest this guy. Um, but then this place starts to blow, and he's like, "Well, fuck that guy. I'm out of here." <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, stairs. Stairs. There are um, a lot of stairs in the end. Sequence. Yes, there's a lot of stairs in the end, and then there's the big stairs in the mall where there's a bomb threat and they evacuate the mall. Yeah. Um, those stairs, I was like, B, I don't know. Right. In the fireworks factory, we were, so we were like, okay, there's some nice stairs in the fireworks factory. Then we're getting up into A territory. And then there was the bit where Jackie is hanging on to the underside of the stairs doing monkey bars while the while the other guys are trying to like step on his hands to make him drop yeah and like going like up and down yeah and he's like jumping from like like the top stairs to the bottom stairs and then climbing back up that shit was good s yeah s s s s s yeah um that shit was so good anyway um I forgot to look into more. I was going to do this, and then I just had kind of a busy couple of days. Um, moving on to the... I think the next two we can kind of talk about together. Yeah. Um, so, Land Without Bread um, and Calling Mr. Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, two short documentaries. When I was putting together the list, I had some stuff that are... Um, For people who don't know, we're... I have not seen a ton of documentaries in my life. Um, Most of the ones I have seen really ever are like, you know, sports things where, you know, talking head, talking head, B-roll, talking head, B-roll, you know, that sort of thing to it. And so we're doing a, like, a course, I don't know, like a little mini season on um on the history of documentary um and yeah. trying to watch some stuff that is a little more like you know pushing at what the edge of the form is you know um and not just like you know the the sort of thing I'm talking about of just like you know very straightforward standard documentaries you know yeah and some of it is like I I want to Provide some history about, like, documentary. Mm-hmm. But also not always just, like, here's... Let's watch the really big ones. I want to have ones where... I can still kind of talk about the history, but we can also watch something that's going to be, like, maybe a little bit more on the margins or doing something a little bit different or whatever. Um, and so, again, like, origins of documentaries. Um, earliest of documentary stuff is, like earliest film where it's like we literally set up a camera and we recorded some like people leaving a factory yeah or whatever and that is like train comes into station yeah and that is like in its essence kind of doing a documentary thing but it's not like thinking about what that means it's literally just we made the pictures move Uh like there's like this very like pure essence to it but narrative hasn't formed yet right like in its original form it is just like we we did photos but now the photo moves Mm -hmm. you know we're going to project it for people. Um, 
you then start getting narrative stuff building out of it, while you also start getting stuff that's going to be particularly staged, but it's like you're going to the Penny Arcade and you're putting in a penny and you watch a little film that, like, you know, is linked so it will repeat. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you just watch, like, a woman take off her top, mm-hmm. you know, in the Penny Arcade. This is also an early film thing. Um, but Nanook of the North, lots of people have seen it. I didn't feel like it was worth us really watching it, but uh-huh. um, I think is like, useful context of one of the first ones where people are, like, trying to actually document something. There's a lot of staging happening, so even from the beginning, you're getting this, like, how much of documentary is actually real versus, like, staged stuff or, like, constructed. Um, you also get newsreels. If we were going to watch anything, I would have us watch the Kino Bravdo. We kind of... I just said, let's just watch Man with a Movie Camera. Yeah. Which is sort of a an extension of the Kino Bravdo stuff that uh, Vertov was doing. Man with a Movie Camera, we covered pretty recently. We were very enamored with that movie. Yeah, the movie fucking rules. Yes. Um, but it is rising out of like a specific idea of documentary and reality and everything. I think part of what's really remarkable, and this is a lot of stuff that Vertov in general was doing, was this way that he was starting to think about what does what's reality's relationship to cinema in a way that was not really being theorized in the same way mm-hmm. um, by a lot of people, I don't think. Because film theory is still like in its nascent stages here. Um, Land Without Bread is sort of coming out of this newsreel uh, lineage. Mm-hmm. Also, I think a little bit related to there's stuff like The Plow That Broke the Plains, which is produced by the U.S. government. Um, and is like weirdly a social film, but in a way that it sometimes feels accidental. Uh-huh. Um, but it is also like tied into like the New Deal and stuff. Mm. A lot of that stuff is like all in the same political thing that's happening in the US. Well, and and Land Without Bread also I think was very evocative to me of Nanook of the North in a way that maybe we can get into. Yeah. Um uh there's a lot in this that in Land Without Bread that is staged. Yeah, so we should slow down and explain. Yeah. Land Without Bread, released in 1933, 1932, um, directed by Luis Buñuel, um, very famous mostly for his fiction films. Um, <clears throat> this is um, Buñuel and his camera crew go to um, Las Herdes, which is a region of Spain up in the mountains um, that is like, I, I'm going to say, I'm going to couch everything that I'm about to say in according to this film. I do not know how much this documentary film is a reflection of reality. Yeah, I'm, so I was doing it, because this is a thing that I watched in a documentary class, but it had been a while. Um, so one thing I knew is that a lot of it was staged. Uh, I don't think in the class we're talking about that this here is saying that uh, it was intentionally parodying exaggerated documentaries about like travelers going across the Sahara or, or whatever. Uh, and Boonwell being like, we can make terribles. Uh, there are like plenty of terrible subjects for documentaries right here in Spain. This, this like parody thing makes a lot of sense. Does not come through in the movie. <laughs> yeah. You know? So the one thing I realized after we watched it, because we were watching it and I was like, there's a lot there's a lot of stuff that the narration is doing. 
uh-huh. that is uh, racist, racist, ableist, ableist, all sorts of fucked up. Yeah. Um, and also is just like, like to such an extent that I had no memory of this and that even me younger, like less keyed into some of this stuff would still balk at. Yeah, it is very... And I realized that I'm pretty sure that when I watched it, I watched the um, silent version. Uh Uh-huh. Because apparently it was originally silent, although usually Budenweil would narrate over it himself Mm -hmm. while it was being screened. And Uh then a narration was later added. Um, The the movie... Excuse me. So the movie that we watched is very much... Here... So Las Herdes in the movie is this very poor region of Spain and sort of like what the narration is doing and what the, to some extent, what the images are doing is like, look at the plight, look at the suffering of these people. Um, It is like this, it is 30 minutes of just nonstop human misery. They don't even have enough money for bread. They eat potatoes and the potatoes are rotten and the potatoes give them dysentery and then they shit so bad they can never have children (laughs) and And then the shit uh poisons the next potatoes yes because they use it as fertilizer (laughs) yes and then they get turbo dysentery (laughs) um there's like a bit in the in the school where they like show a painting of a woman in a dress that is up in the school and they're like what absurdity. These these people will never know fine clothes and dresses. What a sham. <laughs> There's also this part where, like, you just see some, like, school kids eating bread. Uh, yeah. And they're like, you know, they gave them, like, they have to eat them before returning home to their parents who will, like, take it from them. Yes. And then, and then like, <laughs> two minutes later, they're like, nobody has any bread here. <laughs> uh, what, what little amount of bread, re- like, is ever... F- brought in by traders is immediately used to feed the sick. Uh... And so the the thing that I was sort of telling you about, even before we realized this thing about the narration being added in later was that like the, the, the images are kind of like neutral sort of that is like a loaded term. I think, especially in talking about documentary, but the, the images are just sort of here are people. And you might think whatever you want to think about the people, but there's not like, they're not sort of like framing these people to look particularly poor or something. It's yeah. just sort of like, here's what Lost Herdes is like, you know? And then the, the narration is doing this other shit. There, there I is felt... one thing happening with the images, which is true of a lot of documentaries at the time, which is that there is stuff being staged. Yeah. Um, the The funniest version of this is the part where they're talking about the dead baby, and then every time they show it, it's just a doll. Yes, <laughs> um, I thought you were gonna say, "Look, uh, the." I didn't think about that. The other one that really got me was like, "Look, this woman is so poor and hungry that she's sleeping, and she doesn't even notice our cameras here." And yeah, and like, like what sick the f- and whatever. And, and then it's she just like a woman like taking the, a nap. Yes, it's just yeah. like a woman taking a nap, but I think she like looks at the cameras briefly. <laughs> yeah. Um. But there are also, so there, there are two, there's a part where uh, a donkey is stung to death by bees mm-hmm. that was clearly staged. Yes. 
There's also a part where they talk about how the only goats that they ever eat are the ones that uh, act like slip on the rocks and fall to death. Mm -hmm. And then you get like just the corpse of a goat that they just throw off the side of a mountain. Yes. (laughs) Um, Also, also when they stage the death of this donkey, then they're like, Oh, a couple weeks before our camera crews got there, bees killed 11 men and 12 horses. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is also like some of the, the racism and ableism of the narration comes in here with like the absurdity of like, these stupid people carry beehives on the donkey's backs across treacherous mountain ranges. And if only they were so could stop being so fucking stupid all the time, they would yeah. find a better way to transport the beehives. Yeah. Um, there was something about, like, how, like, you know, nobody here, like, understands how to do this basic thing. Uh-huh. In, a, in a way where, like, you're watching it being like, why isn't the film crew just teaching them? Yeah. <laughs> it's like no one here knows how to brush their teeth. And I'm like, well, you could just tell them. You could tell yeah. them how to brush their teeth if it was so bad. Um, but yeah, uh, th- this is a... Like, I think there's a certain amount to which this movie is in this vein of, like, pushing for some sort of social change, but is also um, in some way... Again, parody is one of those like fine lines mm. where is it parody or are you just doing the thing? Mm. Is always a thing that, to walk. Yes. Um, but it's also in this thing that is like very of just the style of documentary that existed at the time. Um, where one, a lot of stuff is staged, a lot of stuff is played up for the in the same way that like news right now mm-hmm. is played up. Uh, news reports, if you watch TV, if you watch yeah, news on TV you... right now, you're also going to get all of the sensational stuff about like, look at these people who died and blah, blah, blah. And they're going to like play these things up. And often with like uh, very deeply political motivations, like they're going to tell you about all the, you know, that there are 20 shooting deaths in Chicago this weekend, uh, which does suck. Also, Chicago has a population uh, larger than like sixty percent of the countries in the like the world. Yeah. Um, and so all like there's a, a very specific like project. I'm using this as an example just because we live here. It's a thing I am aware of. There is a very specific project that happens in like local news to paint Chicago as a center of of like danger and crime and violence and specifically gun violence in order to one, have an argument about like generally like democratic cities. Cause Chicago is like well known as a, you know, long running fully entrenched Democrat city. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also like, look at the failures of, of gun control. Um, but also like, Chicago is significant. If you look at per capita, Chicago is significantly less dangerous than St. Louis. Mm-hmm. When I was where moving, you moved from, and when you moved here from St. Louis, your parents are like, "Oh, isn't Chicago so dangerous?" Not just my parents, random ass people. I mentioned yeah. to customers at my job, like, "Oh, I'll be moving to Chicago soon," and they were like, "Oh, are you going to be okay? Is it safe there?" And it's like you can just say that you're scared of the black people that live. <laughs> yeah. Um. 
But also, like, if you do look at per capita, mm. St. Louis has more yeah. gun deaths. Yeah. But anyway, I bring this up being that, like, I think that there is a way. And going into this, I didn't know how much this was meant to be parody. But there is a way that this movie is specifically gesturing at the propagandistic tendency that exists in documentary. Mm. Um, the staging, the like that doc a thing with documentary is that the form of documentary is presenting reality or the truth. Uh-huh. And that when you take that position as a thing that you are doing, and this is like I think also a thing that exists in, in news broadly, and this is why I'm roping the news into this. That predisposes things towards propaganda. Yes. That you that there is always some level of selection. There's always some level of what is the story that you are telling with the reality. And it sometimes it extends to the degree of things are being like specifically right. um, staged. And often people will do it within that mindset of like, you know, if this movie is trying to be serious about showing people the plight of these people living in this region of Spain, uh-huh. they're like, well, we need to really drive home, like, uh, you know, the the like tragedy of like the death, and then the how difficult it is to like perform a funeral and get a body to like a grave site. So we're gonna stage it because we can't be here when necessarily someone's going to die. We're going to have them reenact what they would do, and they're gonna use a baby doll. And this right. is like a this is like the this is the position that Nanook of the North takes. And Un- like very uncritically, the nook of the North takes. Earlier, I said that like the images here are neutral, and like I guess the thing to unpack there is that even if like even if the the process of selecting the images in the movie is not normal or is not neutral. <laughs> um, <laughs> movies often have images. That's pretty normal. <laughs> um, but like the the the. There is no, like, there is no neutrality in, like, choosing what is presented in the movie, you know? Um, And I think that's, like, true across the board of any, you know, cinema ever. So. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, there is also a lot of, like, they are just showing you some actual images that they probably filmed here. But they're still selecting what they're doing. And then there's also this narration on top where you are often getting an image that is very normal, and then you're getting, like, this very over-the-top narration. Uh-huh. Um, so, um, but yeah, I also think that, like, again, even if this is doing a parody of, this is still a representation of what a lot of this, like, style of newsreel or this kind of documentary was. Mm-hmm. Um... This is maybe a, a good example because of how over the top it is. Uh-huh. This is like exaggerating it, but um, Nanook, Nanook of the North is not that different. So the next <laughs> thing to talk about then is Calling Mr. Smith, directed by Franziska and uh, uh, Stefan Temerson, released in 1943. This is um, this is 2016 doom posting about Trump, but for the 40s. You know, yeah, uh, but but also 
there was like a, a you know a mass orchestrated genocide of people. Yeah, I mean, like I, that's also true in the United States. Uh, mm, let me choose my words carefully here. Um, there, I'm not saying that to diminish. Yeah, the thing that this movie is railing against, only that like tonally, it has. Tonally, there's some leaps of logic that happen here, and some like faulty argumentation that I find very interesting in this movie. Yeah, uh, the thing whenever I watch, because um, I have a what is going on here? Oh, F for stairs in Land Without Bread. Um, there were like some stairs I feel like, but I would do like a D. Okay, I'll I feel like we that. saw some stairs. That was that was a that was a point in the movie. It was like these people don't even have stairs in their homes. Yeah, but I feel like we saw some outside. Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. Yeah, I'm like, what did you do to my my? There we go. I don't even know what I did. Yeah, you did weird stuff to to my computer when you tried to do a little note. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway. Um. There, this is the second, maybe third time that I've watched Calling Mr. Smith. I know that, like, the first time I watched it, there's a certain amount to which I'm like, do the people making this film believe that the the true threat of, like, uh, fascism and the Nazis is, like, the destruction of culture? Mm-hmm. Or is this specifically being, like, those people who... Um, would just immediately be moved by the loss of life, the like plight of these people. That's not who we're trying to target. It specifically starts with those who would turn their eyes away from that. Mm-hmm. And specifically looking at, like calling Mr. Smith here, I think is specifically pointing towards like the U- like people in the UK, like people in England. Uh. And those people who are like not taking action about what's happening with, like, you know, the German invasion, genocide, and everything. So to, so to explain to listeners what yeah. this movie is, this is a 10-minute um, movie. This is um, basically uh, <clears throat> starts with this argument about, you know, civilized cultures the world over, by which, by which we mean Europe, um, have different things that they are sort of known for. You know, the Romans were known for their sculpture, and um, you know, the the Italians were known for their painting. Um, uh, and, and specifically like the 15th century Italians in this yeah. movie or whatever it is. You the know? English were known for their you know for Shakespeare and like literature. Yes. Yes. Um, and Germany was known for music. Yes. You know? And now, in the 20th century, Germany um, has a new culture, and that culture is war and death and conquering and fascism, you know? Yeah. Um, And there is, like, there is this person in the audience that interrupts the movie, and we get this, like, you you get, like, you get some B-roll, some, like, archive footage of, like, Hitler giving speeches... And like, then there is a, um, there is a like person in this hypothetical audience that stands up and says, 
stop stop talking about this and get on with the movie or whatever. Um, stop talking about this. Who cares? Yeah. Um, and the movie sort of like makes this argument that like fascism is destroying civilization, is destroying culture, is destroying all that we hold dear. And the only thing that we can do is rise up and face the challenge and try to meet fascism and stop it. Um, and <clears throat> yeah, uh, I don't, I don't yeah. know that I missed much there. It's a pretty short little movie. Yeah, I think the the other thing to emphasize is that there is a lot of um compared to Land Without Bread, which is very like we pointed a camera at like camera looking at something recording. Yes. Um sometimes it might be a staged thing. But it is like there's just a camera and it's recording and you're getting those images. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like processing happening here. You yeah. are getting when Miss, when Mr. Smith stands up and says, you know, why are you talking about this? Whatever. Um, and then the film's going to be like, don't turn your fa- head away from this. Mm-hmm. Um, it is like this, like it's kind of anime, but it's like a, a, I said animated really fast where it sounded like anime, but it's like kind of animated, but it's more like a cardboard cutout thing that they're like moving around as part of it. Um, there's like just processing on the film that happens. Yeah. There is a part where I think it is actual footage of like a, somebody who has been like killed or like hung up and it's like, they're like processing it, mm. but it is like actual image. Um, you see, like, like a strip of celluloid getting, like, ripped up. Yeah. Um, there's also, like, a part where I think it's, like, a mass grave or something that you get shots at. This is one of the things that was controversial about it, is that it actually showed some, uh-huh. um, you know, like, documented actual death. Um, but bo- both instances, there's, like, heavy processing on it, on the the image. Um, but there's also like processing throughout it. There's just like parts where you'll kind of get this little, you know, not fisheye, but like almost like vignette, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. Um, so there's like something kind of stylistic happening. Um, but yeah, when I, when I watch this movie, I'm sometimes like, how much is it that, that they actually believe that the true threat of fascism is not necessarily the loss of life, but the way that it will like destroy culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and specifically this kind of like quote unquote civilized, like aristocratic culture or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, or is it specifically trying to target you know, those people in the UK who would, who would propagandized s- those people? Yeah, propagandized to those people who can kind of ignore the thing that is happening over here, but do listen to, you know, German classical music and things and, and you know, still think of Germany as this, like, place of culture and, mm-hmm. you know, care very deeply about, like, you know, going to the theater, like, not the, the cinema, mm-hmm. but the theater mm-hmm. and, you know... And seeing the the Scottish play, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Um, I I I liked this movie a little bit. I think I came off kind of critical because I I find there's parts of this movie that I find like weird, but the stuff that I find weird about it, I found really engaging. You know, yeah, um, yeah. 
this is this being a 10 minute film i think it is an interesting one for people to check out and we we should stay on here um one of the main torrent sites uh-huh. shut down mm-hmm. um and uh it was that to which was like basically a trove for a lot of stuff that is not going to be on some of the larger ones uh you know some of the like big ones uh-huh. um and so in order to watch this we had to watch land without bread on we found it on youtube um and then calling mr smith they found on the internet archive uh, but people can go watch on the internet internet archive if they want to see it um of these two i'd recommend calling mr smith as one to check out over yeah Land without bread yeah i would too um but yeah um i think a lot of the the like visual stuff is, is interesting yeah um yeah, I think I think calling Mr. Smith is like weird enough, um, thorny enough to like be worth ten minutes of your time, you know? Yeah. Um And yeah, part of including this as well is there's like a specific attempt to be a call to action. Um uh-huh. This is the thing that We'll probably talk about more as we get deeper into documentary, but this growing um, divide between how much should you present the bias of objectivity versus how much should you wear your specific intentions, your specific biases, mm-hmm. very visibly and outwardly. Um, and which way is going to actually result in a more uh like truthful mm-hmm. film um and i think this is taking this perspective in the way that lamb without bread is perhaps poking fun at or is just obviously exaggerating in but is trying to have this like dry voice of ed- of objectivity right um while talking about all of this suffering uh calling with mr smith is being like intentionally like polemic and propagandistic Mm -hmm. Uh, and is wearing that very publicly. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm just standing up because my joints are all hurting. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but in terms of stairs, I don't 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 think there were any stairs. Yeah. I don't think there were any stairs. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Should we get out of here? Tell people what we're watching next time and do plugs and um yeah are we gonna are we gonna do Lost Highway next time I'm down okay uh, unless you want to do uh the bitter tears of Petra von Kant next week unless you want to switch those but I think we should do Lost Highway soon either way so yeah we'll do Lost Highway next time <clears throat> um neither of us have seen that one neither of us have seen that yeah, yeah. so where do people find you online. You can find me at FoxFamnia on Twitter and uh, Letterboxd, other websites. Mm-hmm. I'm just increasingly dropping goes because I just don't... I don't use it and I feel no compulsion to go back to it. Yeah. Um, anytime I have felt it, I've just been like, I should like update the Heathcliff one. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, go listen to my other podcasts. Um Ghost Divers, 
Uh, we finished IBO. We're about to do the question bucket. I'm recording it tomorrow, the time that I'm recording this, which means when you hear this, we've already recorded it. It's already in the it's already in the the bag, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then next we're gonna do the first season of Psychopaths in the first movie. Oh, cool. So, um, I've never seen either. So, and uh, go listen to Pondering Putan. Uh, it's a comedy podcast. If you know what that song is, please let us know. <laughs> We're still trying to figure it out. This is not a joke. If you know that song, it is a real song that Connor had in his head. Mm-hmm. You did not make it up. I am. This is not a joke. You're looking at me like this is a joke. I don't remember what song you're referring to. I listened to this episode. I don't remember the song. So I'm not going to be much help here. You can find me on Twitter at a tumble underscore coffee. Sorry. I was going to say, listen to Around the Longfire, I reading through Icelandic sagas over on Abnormal Mapping. Uh, also, people should go listen to the Chrono Cross episode. Yes. Of Abnormal Mapping. The best game dot club. Yeah. All right. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Atumla underscore coffee. You can support all the podcasts that we do by going to exportaud.io. A dollar a month gets you access to most of the shows that we do a week early. Five dollars a month gets you bonus episodes of a bunch of different things like coffee and comic books and uh, a couple bonuses of this podcast and soon bonuses of ours Arcanum. Um, yeah, like I mentioned a moment ago, all the joints in my body hurt, so I'm going to end the episode. Nanahachi. <laughs> uh, Nanahachi is real.
Tower who goes is dead The bats have left the bell tower The victims have been bled That velvet lies The black box Bella Lugos is dead Bella Lugos is dead
Give us a big slurp right in the back. Just give us the slurpiest slurp you've ever slurped. It's not like... Yeah. It's not like I'm just like going... When you're doing it with a slurp. The real thing is this. Oh, yeah. That's vile. That's like we have to mute that on the mic. Yeah. That's... <laughs> I don't even like being in the room with that. I don't imagine that's very nice to have right into the Yeti. Yeah. But I guess the thing I could do to right now is pop that off. Because mm. I no longer need the... The dome. The dome and the... I always did you that. Did you see the life hack thing that somebody did where they were like, instead of putting it on like this, you put it on like this and then you fill the cup. But like you have it on top and it's like you don't understand how like geometry works. Because if you put the dome around the other way... Uh-huh. You are getting less slurpy. And also it doesn't fasten, yeah. Yeah. And also, like, and then they, like, fill it up, and then, like... So there's a space if you have the dome going inside, where you have the around the dome that's, like, going to the edge. And when the slurpy hits that, it's going to start filling the dome, and it's not going to flow up this way. Yeah. Because it's too thick. So you're literally getting less slurping than even if you didn't put this on and just filled it to the rim. Yeah. It's bizarre. And someone's like, this is my little life hack to get extra slurping. And I'm like, you're you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this could be... The, what you do is you put it on and then you fill it up into the dome and then you're filling the volume of the dome. I feel Separate like... from the volume of the cup. I feel like this could be easily solved by buying two slurpees. And taking them home to your Pyrex measuring cups. Yeah. This this is easily... Or it could be solved by then just taking the dome and then just trying to pour it in and seeing at what point it fills up and being like, oh, I didn't even fill it all the way. I had you a, literally don't even have to take it home to a Pyrex. I had an argument with a customer, this was a couple years ago, who asked me for extra, 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 extra whip on her frappuccino. I was like, like a lot extra? She's like, yeah, like a lot extra. And so I filled her cup, like, I don't know, a little over three quarters and did the rest with whip. And she's like, well, no, I don't want any less frappuccino. And I was like, well, okay. I fill, fill the frappuccino to the top of the cup. And then I give you as much whip as I can fit on there, right? If you want more whip then just that, which is standard, if you want more whipped cream, you are going to get less frappuccino. And she's like, well, I, I want both. And I'm like, well, the cup is only this big. The cup is, the cup does not become 28 ounces because you wanted more whipped cream. That's the, the cup is fixed. Yeah. So you got to make a choice with your life. Do you want your caramel crunch or do you want your whipped cream? And I don't really care, but I have a math degree, and I'll go back and forth with you about this all day, because I, I get paid by the hour, and I don't really give a shit like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It would be fine if I'd had that argument with, like, a 12-year-old coming into the store. Yeah. I did, I did once have um, a teenager order their frappuccino with no ice on the on the mobile order app and so i made them a frappuccino with no ice so when they came in they were like why is this just a cup of milk and i was like well when there's no ice in the milkshake that's what you get and they were like what do you mean and i'm like would you like to watch me make a frappuccino because <laughs> <laughs> 
The thing you have asked for is a cup of milk. <laughs> yeah. With emulsifier that probably tastes nasty. Yeah. <laughs> Just xanthan gum with no anything to like the I work I worked at the same mm-hmm. coffee chain that you work at. Mm-hmm. The, the name of which you've never said on this podcast ever. Yeah, it's really hard to figure <clears throat> out. Um and of all the stuff that I would make like there's a lot of stuff that I would make where I would like put a fair amount of like syrup in it or something and I was like this is like a little gross mm-hmm. or just like a little like this isn't it. Like I you just don't the whole thing with coffee and like coffee shops is that they sell the sweet thing with it mm-hmm. because you're supposed to have like the bitter coffee and then like the sweet thing and that's how you get the balance. Yeah. Uh but I understand that we just put the sugar in the cup. Then people also get the sugar on the side, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's somewhere people will be like, I want like 20 pumps of simple syrup. And yeah. you're like, you sure? Yeah. Because <laughs> at a certain point, I don't know if it's like really I had this doing kind of, that much more for you. I had a conversation with a customer the other day because she seemed like curious because the iced coffee comes with simple syrup. Yeah. And she was like, oh, I'll get the venti iced coffee. With vanilla, and I was like, oh, do you want vanilla instead of the simple syrup? Most people, when they say vanilla, that's what they mean. I just like to check. She's like, no, I want both. And I was like, are you sure? That's going to be very sweet. And she's like, yeah, I want both. And then I went over and made her drink, and I was pumping it, and she looked over at what I was doing, and she's like, wow, that's a lot of syrup. I was like, yes, this is what you asked for. That is what you told me to do. Yeah. <laughs> you did ask me to fill up an inch of this cup with syrup, and that is what I have done. Yeah. <laughs> um, But that stuff is like, you know, sometimes it is just like, I just feel like this is too sweet for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, But the, the one thing that I would make that did just like, genuine, like the stuff I was putting in just seemed like outright gross to me and not in the way that some of the other stuff became gross to me because I dealt yeah. with it every single day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I those, like, like those like Gouda bacon sandwiches uh-huh. I have eaten so many of yes. in my time yes. that I still like don't like looking at them. Yes. Same. <laughs> um, I, I still think they're probably one of the best sandwiches on the menu in my opinion. But I've... also like all of that's the wraps Oh, because I would take them home, mm-hmm. you know, like they would mm-hmm. be the expired ones. Yeah. Um, and there were some times where we could do it because we knew that they were going to come do pickup for like taking it to shelters. But there were some they nights were, where like they weren't going to. They always say they're going to. And I'm convinced yeah. that they're just taking them to the next store and throwing them out, you know? Yeah. Um, and so usually we would take a couple hmm. of the ones that were expiring. And I was especially poor at the time. So sometimes they'd be like, well, that's lunch yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. Um. And the those just make me sick. Yeah. Uh. But genuinely, the one thing that like when I first started making it, even I was like, something is in this that is like gross to me. Just like the smell of it, just handling it, and it's the frappuccinos. Mm-hmm. There's like something in that like frappuccino coffee mix that is just gross to me. There's something about the iced coffee that always smells like funky armpit to me mm. and the frap roast is way worse about yeah. it yeah the frap roast and and you know what it's all the iced coffees because the cold brew has that too especially right when you finish brewing it it yeah. smells like armpits and i like the cold brew you know but there is something about it with the frappuccinos and the iced coffee that i can't get over you know mm. but for me the biggest thing is just the flavor of caramel 
Like, because I make so much caramel stuff all day, every day. It's not as bad as in Chicago as it was in St. Louis, where literally, like, there was one day that my manager was showing me, like, in the summertime, 70% of the drinks we made were caramel frappuccinos. Not even, that's not even including caramel macchiatos. That's just the frappuccinos, you know? Mm-hmm. And so now, like, Nora and I went somewhere and we got some dessert and they had caramel drizzle on the cake. And I, it was a fine cake, but I was like, fuck this. I just, the flavor of caramel is wor- ruined yeah. for me. Um, yeah. I feel like I interrupted you from saying something, but maybe you finished. No. Okay. I was just saying that, like, the everything involved with making the Frappuccino was just, like, viscerally gross to me. The 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 worst part of the Frappuccino, because there's the... So, if people don't know, milk, ice, syrups, and then you pump this, like, base into it that helps it emulsify. Makes everything blend together and stick together. And it has, like, the coffee. It's got, like, a little bit of coffee flavor yeah. to it. Or it's there's a cream one that's like no coffee flavor. So <clears throat> that is like the main ingredient of that is xanthan gum, which is just like the same shit that's in like gummy worms or whatever, you know, um, it's in everything. And yeah. the, the thing is that one of the first times, like one of my first weeks at Starbucks, I had long sleeves on and my sleeve got caught on the pump and I didn't notice and I pumped it right into my sleeve. Oh. And it was, it's like truly sensory, like one of the worst things I've ever had happen to me in my life. (laughs) I almost asked if I could go home early because it was so nasty to have fucking like gum in your sleeve. Liquid gum. Yeah. Just all in there. Yeah. So. Um. Anyway. This is going to be an interesting stairwells because my back hurts, my foot hurts, um, and I have to wake up in checks notes. Four oh oh, six hours and fifty one minutes. <laughs> I might I might push that back to like four fifteen. We might yeah. we might, but anyway, let's get this rolling. I guess. Okay.